Hi, welcome to Reverse Sequels. This is Patrick, and with me, as always, is... Ellie! And on today's podcast, it's Red 2, Part 2. We're talking about the original Red. That's right. Red tells the story of retired CIA agent Frank Moses and his journey into finding new love and learning how to live in retirement. He gets sucked in into a plot to kill the vice president of the United States and a lot of other confusing plot lines (laughs) ensue. I I will say I think it's less confusing than the second one for sure. I mean, it's a little more straightforward, although it still doesn't. I don't know if you if you examine. I don't know if it makes a whole lot of sense. Well, like, that's something that I hope that you can help me untangle because I want to know the connection between the vice president and Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> You know, I hadn't seen Richard Dreyfuss in a long time until this movie. And then I was like, oh, I think maybe I see why. Yeah. Has he, he gotten whinier in his old age? Was that the character? He, like, what shrunk into, like, a lump, too. I, <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of people I haven't seen in a while. Ernest Borgnine, I thought he was dead. I got, well, he is now. But by the time this movie was made, I thought he should have passed. I want to tell you, I did a deep dive on Ernest Borgnine after we finished this movie. I learned so many Borgnine facts. Oh. Like, what a fascinating life this guy led. Are you going to lay him on me? Yeah, you're right. He has passed away now. But he lived to be 95 years old. Okay. And he passed away two years after this movie was made. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if this was maybe like his last role. Let me look that up. No, he did six more movies after this one. At the age of 93, the dude made six more movies and then died at 95. Good on him. Good on him. Just what a career. What a life. And I was, I don't know, I was just fascinated by all this stuff. I was looking into it. He was married five times, once to Ethel Merman. Oh, okay. But each marriage only lasted like a couple years until his fifth wife, that he married in like the 70s, and they were married for 40 years. So he was just <laughs> ripping through them in the beginning. <laughs> then he was like, fifth time is the charm, I guess. It's probably like that new fame. He was like a hot young celeb just flying through the starlets of Hollywood <laughs> until he found true love. I guess, but I mean, he was ne- I mean, he was always, you know, like a character actor. He was never like a, you know, like a sex symbol or anything. Are you sure about that? <laughs> I mean, his, like the first line on his Wikipedia page was like, known for his gap tooth Cheshire cat grin. I'm like, man, I don't know if that's what I would want to be known for. I, it didn't mention his eyebrows? Because I would have thought that <laughs> I mean, trumped that, the grin. I think that developed later in life. But he met, I mean, he married his fifth wife like in his 50s. And then they were together 40 years. I think Ooh. that's inspirational for our <laughs> listeners who are thinking... How am I going to find love? When am I going to find love? Yeah. It's similar for Frank Moses. Who's oh, on there his, we go. You brought it back. I who's on it. his journey to find love. And he does so in a very unusual way. But before we get into any of the plot or never predicted, we have to get down to what we got right and what we got wrong. I think we should lead with wrongs. Oh, yeah. We were very wrong about this. But the reason that we were wrong is something I never could have predicted. But we'll get into that. But... Our whole idea that this would have something to do with the Cold War, totally wrong. Yeah. Nothing. The whole title of the movie, meaning of the movie, completely different. Yeah. I was wrong about the plot completely. I thought it was going to be a story of a buddy friendship with Bruce Willis and John Malkovich teaming up, you know, to relive their glory days, and then Mary Louise Parker kind of horning in on their time together. No, it couldn't no. be further from the truth. Yeah. We thought that there would be something to do with sleeper agents. Yeah, no sleeper agent. I thought, man, I thought that was like a great idea. But yeah, no sleeper agent because no Cold War. I thought there'd be one main setting. They were all over the place. Although they did mainly keep it national. They didn't yeah. really go international in yeah. this one. Keeping with the sequel theme. That um, is true. You know, I didn't even pick up on that. That's true. But they do go like all over the U.S. They're in New York. They're in New Orleans. They're in Mobile, Alabama. So... And it's a, do you say mobile or mobile? You know, 
I don't know. Or mobile. I don't know which one it is. And then, I don't know about you, but I have a toss-up for my two biggest wrongs. One, I was looking for a supervillain from the Cold War, possibly the same age as our heroes. Yeah, retired KGB. And I was thinking Dolph Lundgren. He is not in this movie. So I was very sad to find that out. But there also isn't a villain that came close. Usually, you said in the last one that we're in the vicinity. I was nowhere in the vicinity on this No. And then, who is the villain? I guess, ultimately, the villain is Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, but who Who is he? Who would have guessed that? He's the CEO of a defense contractor. So I guess, I mean, you know. What is that? Well, great question. (laughs) He makes guns. I know that. And then he's also involved in illegally selling them to other countries. Guatemala, yes, but at one point, um, Morgan Freeman poses as like an African dictator with a French accent, and he was going to sell him some guns, and he's like, there's a surcharge for countries that are, you know, kicked out of the UN or something, or sanctioned by the UN. So he's an arms trafficker, but also I think he like supplies weapons to the government. I think that's why he's so connected to the US government. So he's double dealing in gun running. Okay. That makes sense. guns to everybody. But he's apparently more powerful than the vice president of the United States. What is his connection to the vice president? He's just setting him up as a patsy? No. Well, that we'll have to get into the whole plot. Okay. There's a lot that I want to get into with that. Uh, My other huge wrong was I didn't detect any sponsorship. There was no Pepsi products. No product placement at all, I don't think. No Pringles, nothing. No. Yeah, not a single product placement. So I was sad. I would have loved to see Dolph Lundgren drinking a Pepsi. <laughs> or if not Dolph Lundgren, I mean somebody. Richard Dreyfus drinking a Pepsi. Right? <laughs> oh, this Pepsi's so good. Oh. That was not not a good Richard Dreyfus part. Not that. He's so whiny. He is. He really is. I don't remember him being that whiny in like Jaws. Do you think that over time he has become a character of himself? I mean, maybe. That's because, sometimes that happens to actors. Well, think about like Christopher Walken. Yeah. Do you think that he has aged into the caricature of himself? That's a great point. How come we haven't done any Christopher Walken movies on this pod? If there's a sequel and he's in it, (laughs) I want to watch it. Maybe he doesn't do sequels. He's a one take wonder. Yeah. Oh, one of my biggest wrongs is I thought it would open with Bruce Willis retiring. But no, he's already retired. And I'm not sure how deep into it he is. He looks Mm. very uncomfortable with his retirement. But he's settled in. It was doesn't he's more seem settled recent. in. Yeah, yeah, it's not so recent because he's been so the way he meets Mary Louise Parker is she works for the company that is like dispensing his pension through the government. Which like the did benefits you, company. Do you see how much he's getting? No. He's getting like twenty five hundred dollars. Is this like a, a month, month or, or every two weeks? Oh, I don't know. I really want to know because I'm like, that's a decent pension. I, think. Well, I don't know. He has to live in Cleveland. Do you think that's by choice or like if you retire, do they, like, you have to live somewhere they super boring? They assign you yeah. something? No offense to our Cleveland listeners. But $2,500 bi-weekly, it's not bad. But I Not mean, bad. But don't you think as a CIA hitman, he was probably making a ton of money? Or CIA black operative? How does that work, too, in and of itself? Do you get a paycheck yeah. for being in the CIA? Well, because remember at one point they're like, oh, he's a retired analyst. So I'm sure on paper he was a CIA analyst making a regular but he was really government black paycheck, ops. but he was really black ops. But wouldn't that involve some kind of you know hazard pay under the table? Yeah. Or I'm not sure. Or he could just keep what he finds. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know how it works. But it seems like he's been retired for a while because he's been able to build up this relationship with Mary Louise Parker over the phone. Yes. And I think they even say at one point he's called her like 22 times. Right. So if we say he gets paid once a month, it's basically like two years he's been retired, which would be kind of fresh. Okay. Yeah, he's kind of into it, but, you know, still new. Yeah, that would make sense. I loved all those early scenes, though, even though I was wrong about actually showing him getting retired. I loved all the early scenes of him in retirement where he's like... He wakes up at 6 a.m. without an alarm. He gets up. He has his coffee. He works out. Yeah. All that stuff was cool. Just seeing, like, you know, his mundane life. And then all his neighbors have decorated for Christmas, and he didn't. So he puts up the Christmas decorations to try to, you know, fit in with this normal society. 
You were so sure there was going to be a grenade in that wreath. I was so sure because they flashed on the wreath of the neighbor's house for too long, and it was like a golden sprayed pine cone. <laughs> and I thought for sure he was going to put up Christmas decorations with like hidden elements. And hidden he grenades. Had, and he had a blinking snowman on his porch. I would have sworn that was like Morse code or something. <laughs> I thought that would have been a really fun touch that he puts up the Christmas decorations, but... But they're booby traps. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Or like... Like Santa's sleigh has guns in it. I mean, great. But no, he was just trying to show all his neighbors had wreaths except for him, so he wanted to decorate. I didn't even know that this was going to be a Christmas movie. I mean... You know, it's almost the holidays. Here's the thing. This is a Bruce Willis movie. (laughs) There's always a Christmas element. There's always a Christmas (laughs) element, an action element, and a comedy element. Although I did think this one was less comedic. A lot less. Yeah. A lot less comedic. The second one, I was like... Almost to the point, is this a parody? This one is much more, I think, a straightforward action movie with some funny lines. Like, I would. What were those? <laughs> <laughs> Not, there weren't as many great lines, but I mean, it was funny. What else do you have for the wrongs? I was too much of a coward to actually make a specific actor prediction. And I was like, it's going to be somebody from three different movie franchises. Yes. Harry Potter, Marigold Hotel, or uh, Mamma Mia. I even threw in Paddington 2 at the last second just to be safe, and I struck out on all of those. I know. If you would only guess Jaws or... <laughs> no, but though I wasn't even thinking about Richard Dreyfuss. I was thinking Morgan Freeman. If I would have just thought, oh, older actor, like older esteemed actor who could be in this movie, I would have got it, but I, I was way off. I would never have guessed Morgan Freeman. What was he doing in this movie? I don't know. And then, did he die? Well, is he really dead? He well, didn't come back for the sequel. Here, I have some questions. A couple of things. Are they just hiring people of a certain age to be in this movie? Yeah, absolutely. How is this movie different from Expendables? <laughs> I had that same exact thought. You did? Because, yeah, especially when you were like Dolph Lundgren. I was like, but Dolph Lundgren was already in the Expendables. I think that, you know how like movies a lot of time come in pairs? Like for some reason, it's just like... Oh, we're doing a natural disaster movie, but there's already a natural disaster movie coming out at the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's just kind of that like parallel thinking in Hollywood. That kind of is true. I've never really keyed into that, but I think you're right. Yeah. I think this is, you know, like they were at one point, they were making like two Janis Joplin biopics or Here's biopics. A <laughs> <laughs> we still have not established the proper way to say that word. Did these movies come out around the same time? I don't that know. That would make sense. I'd have to look it up. But what I think is, is that The Expendables is the... the ex- I, I think The Expendables and Red are like two similar franchises. Parallel. There would be no right. crossover, but I think at the same time, two different people were like, oh, I got it, action movie with old people. Wait, Wait but Bruce Willis is in The Expendables. Is he? Yeah, remember, he's Mr. Church. Oh. Shit. All right, my theory doesn't work. Okay, here's my new theory. Bruce Willis just doesn't want to stop kicking ass. So he was like, I want to be in action movies. And they're like, you're too old. And he's like, well, fuck it. Make them about old people still kicking ass then. Right. And he is solely responsible for both franchises. So you're saying that these are Bruce Bruce Willis Willis movies. movies. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, we were totally thinking Expendables was a Sylvester Stallone movie. It was a Bruce Willis movie the The whole time. The whole time. time. Oh, my God. What a twist. (laughs) What else did we get wrong? That's that's all I have for wrong. I mean, I had a few things. I tried to be more specific in my predictions where Bruce Willis would be driving a convertible. He'd be picking up John Malkovich from the hospital. And I didn't get any of those details in there. And then I thought the retired KGB agent would be along the same lines, the same age. So I know that was all wrong. So a lot of the plot was wrong. But let's get into what we got right. All right. My number one right, Helen Mirren is in it. That's right. Helen Mirren's in it. Bruce Willis is in it. John Malkovich is in it. Mary Louise Parker's in it. We nailed down the main cast. So yes. that was pretty good. And we were pretty right about who wasn't in it. We said Han wouldn't be in it. Right. Anthony Hopkins wouldn't be in it. Catherine Zeta-Jones wouldn't be in it. And we were right about all three of those. I do agree. So that was pretty good in guessing the cast. Um, There was a love story. And it was how they met and their budding romance. Yeah, we said that would be a big part of it. And yeah, definitely. I don't know if this is a stretch, but I thought that he would be taking Mary Louise Parker on dates. And slipping into his old way. <laughs> this is kind of like an extended first date. I mean, yeah, she does say at one point, this is, uh, you know, 
a first date. She says, not my best first date, but not my worst either yeah. after he kidnaps her. <laughs> I oh. was I was way wrong about how their relationship would develop. I thought they would meet in a very normal way. Yeah. Well, I well, guess, I guess they do. Normal. But I guess I thought that the the relationship would evolve in a normal way. And then she would maybe at one point find out he was in the CIA. Yes. But no, basically, people are trying to kill him and he... Is like, oh no, they've been tapping my phone. They're gonna know I like her. And they're gonna, they're go gonna after kill her. her too. So he shows up in her apartment before they've ever met in person and then kidnaps her. But luckily she loves it. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into, unless you have any more rights, let's get into what we could have never predicted because a lot of that is tied up into the yeah. plot. I mean, the only stuff I had with rights was just kind of the, the overall themes, like the themes about dealing with retirement and dealing with getting older. All that kind of stuff is very prevalent in it. Like, Helen Mirren is also supposed to be retired, which it seems like in the second one, she's fully come out of retirement. Yeah. In this one, she's supposed to be retired, but it's like, I still take contracts on the side. In the second one, she's full back working for the mm-hmm. British intelligence. But everybody is retired and, like, struggling with it in their own way. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's get into what we could have never predicted. First of all, this is, like we found out in the last one, a DC Comics movie. And RED stands for Retired and Extremely Dangerous. Here's something that's going to blow your mind. I did some research on this movie. In this movie, RED has nothing to do with the Cold War. It just means retired, extremely dangerous. That's not what RED means in the comic book. Oh, what does it mean in the comic book? I read all in the comic book, and the comic book is actually totally different than these movies. The comic book is all serious, no comedy. So in the comic book, the Bruce Willis character... Which, his name is different in the comic book. His name is Paul Moses. Instead of Frank Moses. Yeah, which I just think Hollywood is always so weird with stuff like that. They're like, oh, Paul, that would never work in a movie. Let's change it to Frank. Like, where do they come up with these <laughs> decisions? But Paul Moses is a retired CIA agent. There is a woman who's like his handler who is helping him adjust to retired life. Mm. And in the book, if you're retired and like you're able to just retire and live a normal life, you're green. And if you become a target and they want to wipe you out, you're red. Okay. So the plot of the comic book is that this retired CIA agent, Paul Moses, who is green and living a normal life, gets switched to red and they come after him and try to kill him. But he still has all his skills. He still has all his skills. He kills everybody. What switches him to red? So they get a new director of the like CIA. It actually sounded really interesting. I didn't read the book. I just read the entire <laughs> plot summary because I thought it was interesting. But they get, like, a new director of intelligence, and when he finds out what Frank did, like, all the black ops stuff that he did and all the, like, you know, murders and whatever, he's horrified and is like, what? We can't just let this guy live and be retired. Let's kill him. So they target him, and then Frank goes on this killing spree, ends up, like, killing that guy, and then he, so he meets up with the handler, who's, like, the love interest Mary Louise Parker character, but there's no romance. He just says, I'm not going to kill you because I liked talking to you on the phone all those times. Okay. So it just doesn't kill her. I see the tie-in, sort of, but he, it doesn't develop into anything. No. And then he just hunts these people down and kills them. But I guess they just felt there wasn't enough in the comic book to make into a movie. So they all these characters that they added are all made up. None of those are in the comic book. I like the characters they added. And they added this like comedic element, which I guess was not in the comic book at all. And I think that's why they changed Red to Retired Extremely Dangerous. I think it's just played as a joke. Okay. All right. I think that in the comic book, they probably switched him to Red... So he wouldn't have to pay him his sweet retirement pension. Oh, like it had nothing to do with his actions? It was all just The government money. being cheap. Oh, I believe that, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And the comic book also, it wasn't like a series. Because I was when I saw DC Comics, I was like, oh, this was a... Like, how many issues of this were there? But it was a limited series. You know, it didn't go on and on forever. It was just like a couple books. Okay. And then it ended. I don't know. I, would, I thought that was interesting. So, long detour... But what else the effort never could have predicted? So I know I say this in every podcast, but the cast. We already mentioned Richard Dreyfuss, Ernest Borgnine, Morgan Freeman. But James Remar and Carl Urban are also in this movie. Yeah, James Remar, who was the dad from Dexter, but was also in Too Fast and Too Furious. So a Making favorite the rounds. of the pod. Yeah. yeah, and he's playing a character that we have to talk about. He's the only guy on a list of hits who hasn't been killed yet. Yeah. So you are, are we set up to think that he's behind this? They go and they confront him, 
And then he's shot dead with a bullet through a window. Yeah, I wasn't sure if they just hadn't gotten to him yet, or maybe they couldn't find him and they were waiting for Bruce Willis and company to lead them to him. I wasn't sure. But no, I don't think he was behind anything. I think he was just next up on the list. But like movie-wise, they just needed him to kind of fill them in because they give us this... Like, at first, we don't know why they're trying to kill Frank. And it's, like, slowly revealed throughout the movie why they're actually after him and trying uh, to kill all these and people. And can you uh, explain why are they actually after him? Okay, so... He was on, like, some black ops in Guatemala. Right. So once you... Yeah, once you find out all this and you piece it together, it, it sort of makes sense. So Frank Moses and Marvin, John Malkovich, are part of a black ops team that go to Guatemala and they don't really know what they're doing. They just know, hey, it's a mission to Guatemala in 1981. They barely remember it. They just know that they were extracting a package. And James Remar was the pilot that helped them get this package out of Guatemala, go back. Eventually, they find out from James Remar, from Richard Dreyfus, who was involved, that the package they were extracting was a senator's son who was in the army. He was like a lieutenant commander at the time, but he had a well-connected father. This guy had committed war crimes in Guatemala, and it killed like a bunch of, I don't know, women and no, children. No, he wiped out a whole village. Yeah. The classic. The classic yeah. CIA maneuver. Yeah, we saw that in Expendables. We saw that in Triple <laughs> X. It's everywhere. Yeah. So somehow Richard Dreyfus, as the defense contractor, I think maybe helped organize. It's not, I don't know if it's ever made clear exactly why he's involved or how. Eventually, at the end, we find out he was pulling the strings behind everything. But I don't know if he was involved at the Guatemalan time. I don't know. But... The senator's son had gone, as Richard Dreyfuss says, off the reservation and gone crazy, killed a bunch of people, committed war crimes. So the CIA came in to get him out. Now, that senator's son is the vice president of the United States. And has plans to run for the presidency. Exactly. Making him very dangerous, because if there's this crazy man in charge of the free world, can you just imagine what that would be like? Oh, I see what you did there. Also, it's rich man's son. Mm-hmm. Oh, I totally see what you did there. I thought it was interesting, too. The actor, I didn't recognize him. He's like an Australian actor. Okay. But in real life, he's the son of a former Australian prime minister. So oh. I like that little touch of uh, casting there. I had a question about him because I wanted to know how old Stanton was because he looks very young, too young to be the vice president of yeah, the United States. He was very young, but that might just be because we're used to these old vice presidents lately. I think he could be like in his 50s. And, which oh. may, you know, so maybe he was like 1920 when he was wiping out people in Guatemala. Now it's 30 years later, he is the vice president. Maybe. He looks it's good. It's conceivable, but it, he does look too young for the part. And who is the president? They never show the president. They never. I yeah. like that too, but I want to know, like, what kind of ticket did they run on? <laughs> like, well, youth- war hero. Yeah. Yeah, youthful war hero. Maybe he's like the Paul Ryan. Okay. You know, youth. For the vice presidency and then an older president. I don't know. We'd have to see. But so basically this New York Times reporter, which they never explain how she got this intel. But this New York Times reporter starts asking questions about this Guatemalan operation. Yeah. Okay. So this reporter is asking too many questions. She has to get killed. Now we think that the vice president has ordered everybody to be killed to basically cover up for his crimes so that he can run for president. But then at the very, very end, we find out that the vice president didn't even know anything about it. Richard Dreyfus was really behind it all. So I think maybe he's really pulling the strings and the vice president is like a patsy. Yeah, that's what I said earlier. But yes. here's the craziest part. The vice president does get shot in the end. Yeah. How are they going to clean that up? <laughs> that's huge. Know. Yeah, the fact that in the second one, Bruce Willis is just shopping at Costco. Just, like He broke into the CIA. And, like, a lot of people are dead. But he unearthed this whole plot, which I was wondering about the CIA. Can they do this? Can the CIA be hired to kill the vice president? Probably. I mean, who knows? Who knows what kind of shady stuff is going on in Washington? And then wouldn't you live like John Malkovich, just, like, supremely paranoid once you know everything that's going on? Now, okay. That's what I loved about his character. He's paranoid, but he's right about everything. Here's the thing. That's the main plot of the movie, but also the least interesting part of the movie. That's what I said about the second one, too. The most interesting thing here is the characters and the relationships 
And they, they, they just put that in the back seat to everything. I kind of want to get into, since we're taking it kind of piece by piece, that's the plot of the movie. Let's get into the love story between Bruce Willis and Mary Louise Parker. Like you said earlier, they've been talking on the phone. He's been getting pension checks, ripping them up, saying they got lost in the mail. They develop this cute little phone conversation. He finds out that she's really into romance novels. Romance novels and, and wants, travel. And yeah, she wants to travel. But I like that the weird romance novels are called Love Savage Secret. Yeah. And it is kind of about a CIA agent. And it's she's working at a call center. She needs some adventure in her life. Yeah. She's trying to get into this. He tells her, I'm planning to come to Kansas. Maybe we could get together next weekend. All seemingly innocent. Right. But then... All of a sudden, he appears in her house and says, people are trying to kill me. They're trying to kill you. I'm Frank, by the way. (laughs) She flips out, rightfully so, and he kidnaps her and takes her on this journey around the world to uncover this plot. Here's my question for you. Okay. At what point would you start resisting the kidnapping and kind of falling in love with this guy? Do you know what I mean? Like, what proof did she need? And at what point in this storyline did she say, you know what, I'm kidnapped, but hey. I think there is a turning point. I think she's totally against it until they go to New Orleans and he, like, duct tapes her to the bed. And then she's able to escape. She calls 911. But when 911 shows up, when the cops show up, This one cop tries to shove her in a car and, like, inject her with drugs. So she knows, okay, there's bad people after me. They're connected enough to get the police to work on their behalf. So when Bruce Willis shows up and takes that guy out, I think that's when she starts to trust him. See, I don't think it happens then. I think it happens even later. But I want to know... At what point, or is any of this Stockholm Syndrome? I was thinking there might be a little bit of that too, but I do like the fact that they give us, you know, she's always reading these romance novels and she wants more adventure. And so I like the fact that they set it up where even though it's unbelievable, you can kind of imagine like, okay, this is actually like great for her. She's getting the adventure of her life that she wanted. Well, I like that in the second one, they said, you know, what kind of girls hang around and she hasn't like run away yet. Because I think it's so funny that Frank, no, they've been through like three cities and a few murders, and Frank has this heart-to-heart with Marvin saying like, do you think she likes me? <laughs> He's still not sure. Yeah. What I want to know is, obviously, he was not going to just be in Kansas City. He was going to he fly knew. there to you know talk to her. This is before he even knew that anybody was going to kill him. He was just going to fly there to try to date her normally. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been creepy? What's creepier, a guy flying to your city that you've never met or him showing up in your house and vacuuming really (laughs) i mean they're both weird no no not at all you don't think it's wrong for a guy to fly from cleveland to kansas city to take you on a date no i think that's long distance relationships usually start that way you start talking to someone long distance you have to meet eventually you don't expect him to show up in your house right but you also like i don't know shouldn't there be steps before you just go to the city like Knowing what each other looked like, talking to them in some situation that wasn't work related. Well, no, because he said I'm going to be there by chance. Which but should lying. we get a dinner? Yeah, but she didn't know that yet. <laughs> but the creepy part is when he's in her house. No thanks. I think that the fact that he vacuumed though, she liked that. I think that was like the turning point. No, not yeah. at all. Not she at was all. Like, you vacuumed. I think right, they maybe were not so bad. I think they were trying to show that oh, he's a nice guy. I think that makes it creepier. <laughs> I thought that touch was really creepy. It was creepy, but I don't know. I think that I was okay eventually with her falling for him. Me too. Me too. But I want to know at what point did she, you know, say to herself like, oh, I like this guy. She does when she's on drugs compliment his eyes. Yeah. But not too long before that, she insults him and says, I thought you'd have hair. Yeah. So she's like... You know, it's kind of like dating. Your expectations (laughs) being met or not met, the good things and the bad things. But I was just curious, after you get kidnapped by a man, at what point are you like, well... I mean, this could have been like a very different movie. Of course. He shows up in your house. He has an envelope with him full of cut-off fingers. Yeah. Because after after they try to kill him and he kills all these dudes, he cuts off all their fingers so he can identify them later. But when he gives it to Morgan Freeman later, he just has an envelope, which means he had it this whole time. Yeah. 
Which, and he vacuumed it. Creepy. It's all creepy. But I do, I like that their romance blossoms. She kind of gets into it. She does believe him, which I think helps develop their relationship. And um, she's taken into this life of adventure. Yeah. Oh, you know what's another part? Okay, if it's not the part where he saves her from the police, what about when Carl Urban is chasing after them and Bruce Willis just gets out of the car and walks towards him, like, shooting him? That was pretty badass. They cut to her face being like, oh. No, you know. Oh, yeah? I think I know the turning point. I don't think that was it either. Okay. I think guys have it all wrong. (laughs) It's not the shooting. It's not the vacuuming. It's when they're following the lead of the New York Times reporter, mm-hmm. and they go to this library, and he can speak Mandarin. Oh, she did like that. Yeah, he and speaks he's, Chinese. And she says, yeah. you speak Chinese? And, you know, he has all these skills that you don't know about, and then she kind of smirks. Oh, you're right. So I think she's very impressed with that. All the other stuff's not as impressive. What? You don't think his shooting is as impressive as that he speaks Chinese? No. Let's say that you could, like have a skill put in your brain matrix style yeah either be an awesome shot or chinese chinese really 100 percent. oh i'd take the the shooting let's imagine that you can go out with a suave debonair multilingual spy or a bang bang shoot em up spy i'm picking the suave debonair I don't know. That's what you fall in love with in a romance novel. You don't fall in love with the shooting and the killing. You think of like the black tie affairs and the outsmarting people. You may be right. But I don't know. When I saw Helen Mirren with that sniper rifle. Well, that's. I think that's a role reversal. I think that's a gender reversal. Give a woman a big gun and a man's (laughs) into it. Maybe. Oh, and I I have so much to say about that. Okay. One thing I did want to say about that shooting scene, though, just real quick. It was great. They fired too many bullets in these movies. Oh, an insane amount. It's the most waste of bullets I've ever seen in an action movie. Every time they're trying to kill somebody, they get out this giant machine gun and just, like, shoot up the car for two minutes. Until it falls to pieces and somehow the person escapes. Yeah, every time. The person always gets away. Like, even when they try to kill Frank, they, like, come in, you know, blasting a bazillion shots while he's just sitting in the basement getting all his gear out. Just have one guy come in and kill him like in a his sniper. sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're very inefficient with their bullets. I agree. Movie. But those are probably, like, you know, just the people they send in who are probably going to be expendable. Oh. Because they're up against Frank Moses. I guess so. I think we have to talk about, we're talking about the love story. We have to talk about the characters. Marvin, Helen Mirren, and Joe? What was Morgan Freeman's name? (laughs) I think it was Joe. What I want to know is when Morgan Freeman got this script, do you think he was like, oh, somebody wrote a spinoff for Red from Shawshank? And then he read it and was like, oh. No. Well, first of all, what would a spinoff look like? What are you talking about? He's in Mexico living his best life. Morgan Freeman's character is perplexing. Do you think he got the script and was like, oh, this is cool. I die in the first, you know, 10 minutes. Yeah, I don't have to do much. But then... (laughs) Then he comes back. Then he comes back. We're learning in all of these movies, nobody's ever dead. Really dead, yeah. I don't know. But then at the end, he gets shot and then they they never really... Come back to him? I so think I he's thought dead. The, yeah. But I guess I'm shocked in a movie where you think people are dead, but they're never really dead. He was really dead? Someone has to die. <laughs> I didn't, but then, <laughs> I think if someone's really dead, there was like that main a character, don't you go back to it? Isn't there a line where Bruce Willis is like, man, it sucks Joe got shot and sacrificed himself I to save us. I thought he did us. say something like that. Well. So, I don't know. Maybe they, get... maybe they wanted to leave it ambiguous and he just wouldn't come back for the sequel. Maybe. Uh, I think also, though, when you lose a character, you get a new one. So, with the death of Joe, we get Ivan, who is also yeah, in the second one. I know. Yeah, he was just in the second one for a little bit, smelling Helen Mirren's feet. I didn't realize that they had this, like, beautiful love story like yeah. they do in this one. In this one, they have, like, the best relationship. Yeah, I love it. I love their love story. Yeah. He was a Russian secret agent, and when people found out that they were in love, they questioned Helen Mirren's loyalty, so she shot him three times in the chest. And then he's like, that's how I knew she loved me, because she didn't shoot me in the head. Yeah, isn't that sweet? And he has the scars, and he's been waiting to see her all these years. Yeah, and he saves her life later. Yeah, I liked their story. I I liked it a lot. They didn't really continue it as much in the second one. No. In the second one, I was just like, who is this guy? Why is he here? Why is he smelling Helen Mirren's feet? Well, because he's in love. I don't know. It was weird. (laughs) But Helen Mirren, 
such a badass. Yeah. She should have more roles like this. She, she should have her own spinoff. I totally agree. I would totally watch that. Because she was awesome in this one, but she was even better in the second yeah. one. She was even cooler. She had that, you know, double gun in the car thing. She had the dissolving the guys in acid. It's so nonchalantly. Yeah. She just loves it. It was great. In this one, she did a lot of snipering. Yeah. Sniping. I like seeing her as like an English rose, but with a thorn. You know what I mean? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, of course, we have to get into Marvin, played by John Malkovich, who starts off... Totally wacky. He has his bunker. He has his decoy house. I love that. That was awesome. Yeah. His first appearance is he like jumps out of the bushes and camouflage. Yeah. And is like, why are you trying to kill me? Um, and then he invites them in. But the house that you think is his house is a decoy. And he goes to this car and opens up the hood. And there's a staircase down into a bunker. Awesome. I need that. He's super I paranoid. Build that. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. He's super paranoid. He sees helicopters in the sky. He's reading their, like, I don't know what you'd call it. Not a license plate number, but what yeah, is it? Yeah, I don't know. Serial number serial off the helicopter number. or something? Yeah. And then he sees him later, and nobody believes him. And then he brings a stuffed pig around with oh, him. Oh, I love that pink pig. And we find out later that in the pig is a grenade launcher. Of course. Seems good. Well, I just love that he's paranoid about everything, but he's right. He's like, this helicopter is following us. It was. And then there's this woman who oh. he thinks is following them and pulls a gun on her. And she just seems like some normal, you know, middle-aged woman. She begs for her life. Begs for her life. And Bruce Willis lets her go. And then, boom, she comes back with a fucking rocket launcher. Yeah. She was in on it. Yeah. You know who was originally supposed to be that John Malkovich character? Who? John C. Riley. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, which is, I think, why that's more like a comedic role. Because, you know, they were casting a comedian. But he ended up backing out. And then I love that it went to John Malkovich. Because you don't get to see him in that kind of role this right. much. And I thought he was great. Yeah, I like that choice. I could have seen it go either way. Yeah. And I think I, mean, I would have liked it. Yeah, it maybe would have been more comedic with John C. Riley, But, I don't know. It was. Hmm. I, I thought John Malkovich was great. But it was weird because in the second one, it's so much more about the two of them, about John Malkovich and Bruce Willis. Whereas in the first one, John Malkovich is just kind of one of the crew. Yeah, and it's interesting because when they first meet, I thought they would have this long-standing relationship. And he's like, I tried to kill you. I figure you're here to kill me. Yeah, they, it wasn't It wasn't as buddy cop. Or established as it was in the second one. But I guess maybe we're supposed to believe that they've now been doing more missions together so in the second one they're better friends but Mm -hmm. i don't know morgan freeman is more the character that i don't know it makes me wonder if morgan freeman was supposed to show up in the second one and he wouldn't do it so they gave all his part to john malkovich and just beefed up the john malkovich role it would have made more sense to open with morgan freeman's funeral yeah it's one of the things that bothers me about sequels and kind of the reason why i mean this william goldman who just passed away like famously said that no sequel is about anything but the money yeah like as a writer he was like if you had anything more to say about the characters you would have put it in the movie yeah if you do a sequel it's just for the money and i don't want to believe that because there are some sequels that i like but there's like all these practical things that get in the way of really like writing with the movie you want to write so like maybe morgan freeman was supposed to be in it but it's like then you got to make sure you can get morgan freeman and if you can't now you have to rewrite your movie and it's not really your vision it makes me wonder if maybe that's another reason why sequels are so maligned Mm. is because like there's just practical things that get in the way yeah i don't know weird side tangent but shout out to william goldman yes r.i.p who maybe is faking his own death, if we've learned anything. (laughs) All right, anything else for the plot? The plot then kind of like runs on, we have this whole Ocean's Eleven scene where everyone's um, assembling at the Fremont Hotel in Chicago. They're there for, I guess it's Stanton's bid for President of the United States? Yeah, I think it's maybe a fundraiser or something. And um, so they're all kind of assembling to kill Stanton. And this is where the whole plot gets uncovered that really Richard Dreyfuss is behind it. One touch that I loved, that I absolutely loved, is Helen Mirren, she goes into this ball, this gala, she's wearing white, she's looking fabulous, but after she sprays gas and exits the ballroom and locks everybody in there with her necklace... Oh, that was cool. She goes down the stairs... And hands John Malkovich her high heels, and then he gives her a pair of combat boots. Yeah, that was badass. Anybody who knows women knows that you're not going to get anything done in high heels. It's not realistic. And the fact that they gave her combat boots to just get shit done. Yeah, you like that I touch. I loved that touch. <laughs> yeah. I also like that she kills a guy with her pocketbook. 
Yeah, she... Like, I don't know what she did, hit his throat or something? Yeah, everyone's getting punched in the larynx in this movie. <laughs> the weird thing about that whole scene for me is, one, I don't know if it made any sense. I, I thought it was, like, they, yeah, they played, like, the Ocean's Eleven-esque music, and they set it up like, oh, this is going to be a real clever, real cool plot. Was it? They already, did any of it make any sense? No, and they did something earlier where Bruce Willis was a fireman and John Malkovich was an ambulance driver, and that's where we find out Morgan Freeman's not really dead. And um, Yeah, that was kind of cool. That was more clever than this last yes, thing. Yes, and it was already done once. Yeah. The last thing was unnecessary. But then we get them all together. We get them to get the president, drive him somewhere in Evanston. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is funny as a suburb of Illinois, but I think it was really like a water reclamation plant. I don't know where it was they were. clearly not Evanston, because you could tell they were south of the city. They were somewhere going to kill this guy. And then Richard Dreyfus shows up. Why would you show up to someone about to do your dirty work for you? Oh, that's a great point. If they're going to kill the guy you've been setting up this whole time, why would you appear at the end and say, ha it was me? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, so he didn't really want to kill the president. He wanted to trade. They've kidnapped uh, Mary Louise Parker at this point. He wants to oh. trade the vice president for her. But you could have just showed up, let him kill the vice president, kill the girl, kill him, kill everybody. Yeah, if you've wiped out whole villages. Yeah. Because Stanton didn't really do it. No, but he did, right? I thought, no. I thought he was just set up as a fall guy. Oh, wait, but I thought he really did wipe out the village, but he didn't order all these killings. You're saying he didn't even wipe out the village? Not if Richard Dreyfus is behind everything. Oh. I think he set up the extraction, extract this kid. I think this poor kid didn't know anything. And he didn't really do it? And he was on this political track. I think he was, at the end, I think Stanton was an innocent victim. Oh, really? Of Richard Dreyfus's evil plot. <laughs> oh, you just blew my mind. I didn't even consider that possibility. So you were okay with him getting shot at the end? Well, I wasn't even sure if he was dead or not. I never know who's really dead in these movies or not. It looked like he just got shot in the leg or the groin. Oh. Unless a character gets shot in the head or has their face blown off, I don't believe they're dead. But no, great point. There was zero reason for Richard Dreyfus to show up to be like, mm, ha ha, it was me. It doesn't make Why any would sense. he make the trade? Yeah, it doesn't make any doesn't sense. Doesn't he want Stanton dead? Or maybe, I don't know. No. Maybe he wanted Stanton alive to continue to be used as a puppet, but then why show up and let Stanton know that you're evil? I, I was so confused. We're probably over. Th we're probably thinking about this more than the writers did. Yeah, they should have killed him. Also, Bruce Willis got super lucky that he's able to. That at the very end, Carl Urban just decides to be a good guy. I he's could, been like the bad guy the whole time. I don't know. You could see his evolution. You could see his turn because he That's was true. given misinformation. He was. And when Richard Dreyfus appeared and was like, "Maha, it was me the whole time," Car Carl Urban is like, "Oh, Frank has been telling me the truth." And I think they're very similar CIA agents. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But these movies rely on Frank flipping people a lot. Like, he also was able to get Han to be a good guy. Like, everybody that's after him trying to kill him, he somehow convinces He's to help charming. him. He's He's good. He kidnapped yes, a woman so. and she <laughs> fell in love with him. All right. Uh, you know what? You're right. I guess it makes sense. But then it's weird, too, because the way Carl Urban helps him is he handcuffs him, but then he puts the key to the handcuffs in his hand. Why not just not handcuff him? Because he had to look like he was following orders. There were guns pointed at him. If he gives him the keys, then he has time to draw his weapon. Frank has time mm. to undo the handcuffs. All right, you know, all right. set things in motion. Okay. Whew. One more thing. You know what's weird about this movie, too? Is that whole Ocean's Eleven setup thing mm -hmm. where they're trying to get the vice president. Bruce Willis is, like, gone for, like, 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. It's really weird for your star to, like, not be in the movie for that long. And then he just shows up at the very end of the whole sequence as the driver... Which, that's the thing. None of it was clever. Like, when it's revealed, like, oh, Bruce Willis is actually the driver of the car? Of course he was. Of course he would be the driver of the getaway car that they get into. That's like, I don't know, just the most cliche thing ever. It's not clever. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of standard Yeah. And tropes. that was my problem with the second one, too, is like, it, I always thought it was more clever than it was. Yeah. That's a good segue into our two big questions. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm ready. What did you like better, this movie or Red 2? I was thinking about this towards the end of this movie, and maybe it'll surprise you, maybe not. I'm always curious to hear what you're going to pick. I'm going with Red 2. 
I'm going back. I feel like the last couple of movies, I've been surprising myself and picking the originals, which hasn't been the trend, but this one has brought me back to the sequel. The sequel was funnier. The sequel was a little lighter. I liked that. I liked the characters more. Usually I like to see how everything originates and develops, but I think I'm going... I like the relationship with Bruce Willis and Marvin a lot better. I'm going... Red 2. I'm going to have to agree with you. And it's really uh-huh. weird because the sequel was very poorly reviewed. The first one, for the most part, was well-reviewed. This is going to blow your mind. It was nominated for Best Picture at the Golden Globes. Like, Best Picture Musical or Comedy. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Red 1. What year? 2010. Whatever year it came out. Against what other I mean, I, didn't, I don't know. It didn't win. It was just nominated. I need to know who won that year and what were the other contenders. Okay, let me look up. How was that in the running? I don't know, because I really didn't like the movie. And then I was like, wait, am I crazy? I mean, could it be an effect of, I loved the intro to this movie, and the intro I felt like was lost on us having seen the sequel. Maybe these actors hadn't been in anything in a while, and everyone was like feeling great seeing them again. See, I think that was a big part of it. Because, so I was looking like, all right, did anybody agree with me? And there were dissenters of people that didn't really love the movie, and Ebert actually gave it two stars out of four, which I, I'm a all big right. Ebert fan, and Props I was like- to Ebert. Yeah. I agree. And what he said is basically like, this is this is a paraphrase but he was like it's a bunch of people we like doing things that we wish were more interesting a hundred percent i was like yes that's exactly it i love all these actors wait what was his review of red 2 i'm not sure i want to know how many stars he gave that i'm not sure he gave it two and a half out of four stars for red 2 Oh, really? Yeah. All right, so we're not alone. That's funny. All right, here were the nominees for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Let me see if I can guess who won, too. Okay, here are the nominees. The Tourist, Red, Burlesque, Alice in Wonderland, which I'm assuming is the Tim Burton version. Yeah. And The Kids Are All Right. What year was this again? This is Movies for 2010 at the 2011... Golden Globes. I don't even remember what burlesque was. And The Expendables came out in 2010, too. Oh, really? And was not nominated? I'm blown away. Burlesque was a movie with Cher and Christina Aguilera. Have you ever seen that? Is there a burlesque, too? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I know the kids are all right, but I've never seen it. But the- I'm going to guess the tourist one. No. The Kids Are All Right was actually the winner. Now, the best motion picture drama category was The King's Speech, Inception, The Fighter, Black Swan, Social Network. Oh. So good year for drama, not so good a year for musical or comedy. So, yeah, despite what the Golden Globes think, I'm with Ebert. I think Red 2 was the better movie. I think it was funny. I mean, it was weird, you know, the tone of it. I couldn't decide whether it was action or comedy or... or, or, uh, parody the director is the same guy that directed galaxy quest oh, which is okay. sort of like a parody Similar, yeah. of sci-fi movies so it made me think like okay he has parody chops maybe that's why it felt borderline parody but i'm gonna go with red too all right and now agree with you which movie did you prefer the movie you predicted or the movie that we saw i'm gonna i'm gonna go a different direction i am going with don't a, say what i'm gonna say i'm gonna go with a movie that i predicted while i was watching this movie that i wish i would have been watching what what movie is that Here's the movie I wish it would have been. Mary Louise Parker is the main character. We start off with her waking up, with her going about her routine, with her reading her romance novels and her going to work. And then Bruce Willis is like a minor character. Not a, maybe not a minor character, but she's the focal point. And then she meets this guy and just like he shows up in her living room one day and she's like, what the hell? And we don't know what the hell's going on. And he's like, people are trying to kill me and they're trying to kill you too. And the whole time we don't know. Is he crazy? Is this real? Oh, I like that. I like is this that. all a fantasy that's coming from her oh, reading romance novels? Too late at really night. Happening? Yes. What is all going on? And then, I mean, we'd see maybe all the same action, but it wouldn't be so much action. Like the action would just be moving the plot forward. And then the plot would really be about their relationship and those two people. You wouldn't have like 35 characters coming in. Like you, you, you know what I mean? All this stuff about Carl Urban's family life? No. Oh, yeah, that like, we didn't even touch on that. Yeah, because who cares? Right. All this stuff about the vice president in Guatemala, 
Because I think it works better if we don't know all these details because they don't make any sense. Yeah. So it's just like, it's something about Guatemala you don't need to know because that's not what the movie's about. The movie's about their relationship. That's the movie I would have rather saw. But if I can't have that, I will also take my own movie because it actually had to do with the Cold War. And the second one, he's they say he's a Cold War expert. Yeah. So why even bring that in? I don't know. And then I'll go red last of the three. What about you? Oh, wow. So it goes your movie, Red 2, then Red. No, and I'm saying this movie starring Mary Louise Parker. Got you. Then my movie that I predicted with the sleeper agent, then the actual Red. Dead last. I was going to. This is what I thought you were going to say, and this is where I found myself is in neither either. I was also. (laughs) Neither either. (laughs) I was thinking hybrid. Okay. I love the Helen Mirren Ivan storyline. Me too. I like the Mary Louise Parker mundane life talking to Bruce Willis on the phone and his kind of retirement storyline. I like those two parts. Yes. I also love the idea of Dolph Lundgren drinking (laughs) Pepsi and this being about sleeper agents. I think that could be great. Maybe she's like in a call center. He's also getting pension checks. She says a word to him one day. Refreshment. Oh, she's the one that... Yeah, she activates him. <laughs> then who knows what happens. But <laughs> I think it, I would have loved a hybrid. Because there were parts of this movie that I liked. But it it could have done with a lot less. Definitely totally take out agree. the Keith Urban... Carl Urban. Definitely take out the Carl Urban. Keith Urban would have been better. Just to throw a country music scene in there. I keep getting those names messed up. <laughs> Definitely no need for Richard Dreyfus. No. Nowhere. Or the vice president plot or Guatemala or any of it. But I would have done some kind of hybrid between the movie I saw and the movie I predicted. And I would have cut about... 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, should have been tighter. You know what? If, if they had made that movie, they probably would have beat Kids Are All Right from that Golden Globe. <laughs> All right, um, well. What do we have coming up next time? Oh, I'm super excited. So this is one of the movies that I'm like, I think maybe I should have seen before, at least the original, because I know it's part of the pop culture, but I don't know anything about it. We are going to watch Smokey and the Bandit 2. Yes, and I'm very confused because I keep thinking this is a Western And you keep telling me it's some kind of comedy. I think it's a comedy. How? I think it's about a guy and a monkey. No. I I don't know. (laughs) Which one's the monkey? Smokey or the bandit? I don't know. We'll have to find out. I don't know. (laughs) I keep thinking it's going to be like, what's that TV show with the car, the general? The Dukes of Hazzard? Yeah. I keep thinking this is going to be like the Dukes of Hazzard. With a monkey. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds awesome. But, you know, in the 40s. The 40s? <laughs> with, no, that's too soon. The Dukes of Hazard in like the 1800s with horses and cowboys. Well, we'll have to find out. So <laughs> as always, this is Patrick. And Ellie. And this has been Reverse Sequels. We'll see you next time. Bye. Reverse Sequels. I'm Richard Dreyfus. <laughs>